With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Welcome to Affected by Altitude. This is a podcast hosted by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. This is our second episode in our newest format featuring myself, Mac Wilcox, and my two associates, Evan and Skyler. How are you both doing today? I'm doing dandy. How about yourself? Excellent. Glad to have y'all both on. Uh, so, I'm... Doing wonderful. You're always doing wonderful, Skyler. You're our, you're a positivity man. I, I appreciate <laughs> that about you. Uh, so, I would like to kind of continue the tradition we started last week. Just a quick little icebreaker about ourselves. Just we are still so new to the Purple Row podcast, felt affected by altitude. And so, what I wanted to ask you both this week is just another way for the fans to get to know us better. We, like we said last week, have been Rockies fans for a little while. Got a little bit of history with the team. So I'll start with Evan and then Skyler go ahead and answer afterwards. But you guys both, what is your favorite or most significant part or item of Rocky's memorabilia, if any? Uh, so because I am somewhat of a crazy person, I have a lot of Rocky's memorabilia. Particularly, I try and collect the uh, autographed player balls and stuff like that. I have mm. a bunch of the bobbleheads they've given away at... Um, games and stuff like that but probably my favorite is and this was a gift from my dad that i got uh back when i was a kid it's a todd helton autographed ball from his rookie season where he um he didn't win like the league rookie crown but he among the rookies had the triple crown for hitting and it's got a little plaque in purple metal on the case that says todd helton rookie season triple crown Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just does a really cool thing to me, and it's it's one of the things that I really treasure as part of my collection. I have lots of other really really cool stuff too, but mm-hmm. I think that's probably my favorite. That's so awesome, man! From his rookie season, no less. That's so cool. Um, Skyler, how about you? Uh, I don't have much stuff. There's like hats and maybe some shirts around, old hoodies from like 2007. Uh, but I think one that ideally like sticks with me is my autographed david doll ball uh because nice it was when they were doing their rockies caravan and i was going to school in utah at the time uh out at college and you know 20 years old and they had their meet and greet it happened to be like this i guess it turned out it was a bar up in salt lake city and so i went with my brother and my mm-hmm. sister-in-law because they thought oh it's gonna be Oh, an open event for the public. Well, since it was in a bar and I was only 20 years old, like a couple months from turning 21, I didn't get to go inside. So I stood outside in the cold <laughs> January Salt Lake air 
and <laughs> kind of sitting out there waiting and because I wanted to meet Bud, Bud Black, John Gray, David Dahl, a couple other guys were inside. But my brother was inside, and he asked David Dahl, hey, could you come out and talk to my brother for a quick second and sign a ball? And so David Dahl mm. came out, shook my hand, you know, asked me, like, oh, what position did you play in, you know, in baseball and all that stuff? But So that was always a cool thing. That's why it hurt when David Dahl always got hurt and everything. But that was always a good time. It was a good ball. Yeah. That's awesome, also saw though. Tony Walters FaceTiming awesome. somebody outside. <laughs> That's awesome. That's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. David Dahl is one of those guys I know we all wanted to really be successful. What a great story, though. Except for having to stay out in the cold all night. That's kind of a bummer. But, but that's awesome, man. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, the only memorabilia I have of any real note is uh, I've got a ball thrown to me by Wilton Lopez, like I mentioned last week. And then the only other thing that I have that's like actual memorabilia is a little uh, replica home plate that's signed by uh, Yorby Torrealba, which is really cool. We got that not too long after that World Series run at 07, um, which is you know really cool. My dad and my pops is a big. Tori Alba guy, as am I, obviously, but that was a really cool deal for us to get that from him. He's good people, man. Um, excellent, guys. Appreciate y'all, you know, telling us some more about yourselves. But uh, let's get into the meat of the matter. And who boy, do we have some meat of the matter? We've got all kinds of Rockies news this week. Um, so let's just start breaking it down. Obviously, uh, one of the first things we're going to have to kind of get into before we get into the individual sort of team elements of it are the organizational elements. The big news this week, of course, being that the Rockies front office is really in a state of uncertainty. There's a lot of movement. Obviously, everyone, you know, listening to this podcast knows that Jeff Breidich, the general manager of the Rockies, stepped down earlier this season, but now they've actually lost two more assistant GMs uh, that have stepped down over the course of this past week involved in player development and scouting. What do you guys make of this? You know, it's a pretty new story. We don't have all that much information to go on. What is your guys' opinion of the direction? What does it mean to the organization? You both have a lot of knowledge about these sort of, you know, mid-level managers. Is there anyone else that's going to step up and kind of take the reins? Where are you guys at on this? So the big one for me, um, we had two people step down here and leave the organization. And it's... um, John Whale, who is assistant general manager and works with player and personnel. And then the big one for me is Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was the assistant GM and uh, farm director. And Wilson had been with the team for 20 years and was sort of, I don't want to say Jeff Breidich's protege, but he was who Jeff Breidich had selected for that farm director position. And both of these guys would have been, I think, good picks for the interim general manager role for the Rockies when Breidich resigned. Uh, The Rockies instead went with Bill Schmidt, who was the director of scouting. Mm -hmm. But it's a little bit worrying. So there's a lot of different facets to look at here. The one thing that a lot of people point out, myself included, is that you're going to have a lot of turnover and sort of cleaning house when you're going to be bringing in a new general manager, uh, as the Rockies are expected to do at the end of the 2021 season. But the issue is we don't know who that will be. We don't know if it's going to be someone from outside the organization or if it's going to be Bill Schmidt. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is happening in the middle of the season, so close to the draft, and Nick Groke of The Athletic had a very good article breaking all of this down, but Bill Schmidt is no longer running the Rockies draft like he has done for the last many, many years. And right. it's going to be done by committee. 
and a lot of other things are going to be done by committee, like scouting and personnel decisions. And when you are so close to the draft, which is in less than a month, and it's such an important time um, for the organization, and you don't have the full complement of personnel to make these important decisions, especially when the Rockies have such a gutted analytics and research department. Yes. Um, back mm-hmm. in uh, the off season, four of the Rockies, six analytics personnel left the team mm-hmm. and we just never replaced them. And so there's a ton of question marks on what happens from here on if any of these people get replaced before the end of the season, or if it's all going to be, during the off season after selecting a new general manager, but it also, there's so many questions about is uh Fiesel going to stay the team president? Or are they going to bring in somebody else? Is Bill Schmidt going to be named the full-time GM? Do they bring in someone from outside the organization? There's rumors that the Rockies are interested in bringing back Clint hurdle in some sort of front office capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our writers here at purple row, Renee brought up that this could be a consolidation of power under Rocky's owner, Dick Monfort, of get rid of the people who would, you know, fight me on making baseball decisions, because that's always been a concern Mm -hmm. with Monfort's ownership of the team, is that he's not necessarily a baseball guy, but he wants to be making the baseball decisions. So it's just sort of all over the place, and it's really tough to know exactly what to make of it. I'm not going to be here going doom and gloom, all is lost, but it's definitely, uh, I'm going to sit on my hands and see where we go from here. It's worth noting that the Rockies have posted a listing for a director of research and analytics, which might uh, indicate that they are looking towards finally restocking that analytics department under a new person. Yeah. But it really is just a, there's not much we can do, but wait and see. And the biggest concern for me with the whole shakeup is that the draft is in, you know, two, three weeks and we don't really have a consolidated, effort in the front office for running our draft, especially right. when as a team, you know, silently rebuilding, they're never, they'll never admit to being in a rebuild, but the Rockies are rebuilding. This draft is going to be really important. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a great breakdown, Evan. That's awesome. And I think you're, I think you're exactly right. There's, there's so many people that are involved with all this. Uh, you mentioned Fiesel. Um And yeah, I, I remember when we were talking in our purple row, conversations about who should next step up to take that leadership role. I know you mentioned Zach Wilson as being a huge candidate for that. So to see him not being gone is a huge blow. Um, Skyler, what's your take? Where are you at on this? Uh, I like what Evan said. We're like the consolidation of power, you know, by Dick Monfort. And yeah. the only thing that comes to mind is like, I imagine somebody's just sitting there in their office and a little hologram of a hooded Dick Monfort shows up saying, execute order 66. <laughs> And people are just getting wiped out of the front office. But it, it's really concerning because these, these, you know your business and your culture is bad when guys that have been there for years and years and have contributed so much to your organization are leaving under their own power. You know, more so not, oh, I'm going to stick around forever, but they're making that choice like, I got to get out of here. Oh, and and who knows what, you know, the conversations or the thought process was for some of these assistant GMs leaving. Even Jeff Breidich, you know, what finally led mm-hmm. to that, what those conversations were like. But it feels like 
these guys are realizing there's a this organization is sick in that front office and it's it's messed up and they need to change and they realize things aren't going to change or it doesn't feel like they're going to change so they're jumping ship um, possibly to save their careers and go look at new projects and everything and it's it's just a mess in there in the in the front office and it, yeah. it it's going to be interesting to see what what happens and how they're going to consolidate I try and look at things with a little bit of a grain of positivity. I know it can be tough sometimes to do that, especially when an organization is uh, fumbling a lot like the Rockies have been in recent memory. It's tough because, you know, I don't think necessarily that they were forced out. And I do definitely think it's um, John Whale, um, Zach Wilson going that either they see they don't have a future with this organization or that they don't like the direction in which the organization is headed. The positive aspect of this, like the way you could look at it as a positively, is that there is a potential that these guys were going to be replaced anyway with a new general manager coming in. Generally, a GM wants their own staff and wants to fill the front office with their guys, but there is a little bit of a concern for me because all of it is a, they mutually agreed to part ways. And that was the same thing that happened with Jeff Breidich uh, during the uh, beginning of the season when he resigned was that he felt, or at least it looked like from his statements, that it was pretty clear that with the shift in power and the general future of the organization that it would not include him. Mm. Yeah, man, that's the, man, you got to think you both nailed it. Uh, Skyler mentioned the word culture too, which is really, I think a good call out because it's just, you guys said like, if there's just so many different aspects of this, you know, we don't obviously know the full picture. We'll probably never know the full picture. Uh, but yeah, this is obviously a story we're going to keep our eyes on um, as it develops. I'm sure we'll talk about it in future podcasts and in future articles as well. So definitely keep an eye on Purple Row, um, the website, to make sure you guys are up to date on everything as we just learn more and more about this and kind of track the the new hirings and things that are brought on. So, yeah, that's awesome, guys. Um, and, and and one we'll last see. thing here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. go right ahead, Skyler. Well, so it's not, I was going to say, but one last thing that we mentioned in there with the Nick Groke article is something that's really kind of irked him is also the meddling of you know Greg Fiesel and everything even last year in baseball decisions mm. and so I can see that you know the promises of change and better communication but all kind of just a smokescreen that kind of these guys realizing oh nothing is changing I got to get out of here or I got to go find better opportunities for myself mm. that's also something I could see happening and Oy. No bueno. Yeah. Oi puts it well. <laughs> Evan, what were you going to say? The sort of latching onto that is that the concern always has been, and Nick Grote brings it up as well, the amount of non-baseball people making baseball decisions. So yes. you have Dick Monfort, who he's a businessman, and he clearly, you know, he loves his team. He has a passion for baseball, but he's not a baseball guy but he's still making baseball decisions. Uh, It was apparent that he had a lot of his hand in the Nolan Arenado trade. And his appointment of uh, Fizel as 
the team president, Fiesel is also not a baseball guy. He has zero baseball acumen outside of having been with the Rockies for many, many years, but it's always been on the money and business side. Sure, sure. And that's what concerns me more than anything, because there's a very clear direction the Rockies need to take here, which is Dick Monfort becomes a less hands-on owner, and they fill their front office with baseball people. The team president needs to be a baseball person. The GM needs to be a baseball person. These need to be people mm. who have baseball acumen and baseball history and more know what they're doing to make these important decisions. And that's my main worry is that we're not going to get that. Yeah. That's a, and that's a, that's that's a fair want. worry. Um, my bad, Scott. No, that's, why we want, that's why we want Clint Hurdle so much. That's why his name keeps popping up because yeah. he's a guy in Rockies yes. history that's had success and knows what he's doing and is very likable. I'm just not sure yeah. that Clint Hurdle would be the guy to bring in. He doesn't really have any front office experience. He tends to be a little bit divisive where he goes. He was not particularly well-liked in Pittsburgh. And a lot of the Clint Hurdle stuff for me is Dick Monfort has a history, and this team has a history of trying to ride that nostalgia wave. So who can we bring in? that has nostalgia value. Oh, well, Clint Hurdle was with the 2007 World Series team, so we should find a way to bring him back. Hmm. I like it, man. I, I think, yeah, we're going to have to keep an eye on this one because it's going to be, we can talk about this all day long. Uh, obviously, there's just so much that goes into it. We do got to get some other stuff, man, but this is great. This is great conversations, great discourse. And like I said, Definitely, listeners, keep an eye on Purple Row. We're going to be talking about this quite a bit in the coming weeks. Um, let's get into some other news, though. Let's get into some Rockies, uh, specific to the team information, right? So, quick little breakdown of some roster moves, some changes as of today, the day we are recording on Friday. We've got John Gray back in rotation, set to go here in just about 40 minutes or so. Gray to take his first uh, start of the month after missing some time on the injured list. We've also got uh, Gomber. Uh, Austin Gomber is still recovering from his most recent injury. He's going to be out a little bit longer. going to take a, a rehab start. And then uh, we had Sheffield officially, our reliever, uh, Jordan Sheffield, officially moved to the 60-day DL, uh, excuse me, the IL. Um, he is still recovering from a pretty nasty injury. And then Matt Adams uh, is working on, I believe, Evan, you said it was some lower, uh, lower body baseball activities. Is that right? Uh, as far as I'm aware, he's not resumed throwing and fielding activities, um, uh -huh. but running in general lower body baseball activities he has resumed. There's not really an ETA for his return. Um, mm -hmm. Granted, I don't think Adams is really a key piece that we are uh, hurting by not having. Sure. Uh, you do hope he has a, a quick recovery. And, and starts getting feeling better and able to resume baseball activities soon. The big oh, one that hurts us, I think, is Sheffield, because Sheffield was having yes. an excellent season. And then he yes. went down after that series with the Texas Rangers. And uh, Bud Black told us he'd be out for a little bit, but I don't think anyone was expecting him to get moved to the 60-day IL. Yeah, that's a tough – That's a, like you just mentioned, that's a tough loss because he's been such a solid reliever, Rule 5 pick at the start of the season. Um, really kind of coming into his own that bullpen role. So to lose him for that extended period of time is going to hurt the Rockies. And then one last quick uh, run back of the um, transactions this week is we officially have a word that Joe Harvey and Ryan Castellani have both been DFA'd. Uh, the Rockies have picked up Bernardo Flores Jr. from the Cardinals. I know, Evan, you were looking into some of his stats recently. So I want to just ask you both real quick. Uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily a deep, deep combo, but 
all these roster moves. Is there anything that stands out to you? Are you surprised that Castellani and Harvey are gone? Uh, are you excited to have Gray back? I'll start with you, Skyler. Uh, any of these roster moves really stick out to you at all? Uh, the one that sticks out uh, that makes the most sense to me was the was DFAing uh, Ryan Castellani, uh, just because mm. he just was struggling so much. You know, he didn't really have much success. Like he had a good couple of starts last year, but even then, by the season's end, he was wasn't doing too good. And then this season, just coming into spring training, and then even down there in Albuquerque, he's just been getting. You know, hit hard and the biggest problem is he's not throwing strikes oh, and if you can't throw strikes yeah you're not there's no reason to keep you around because if it's a continual thing of you lose the strike zone you know more or less getting the yips uh that's unfortunately mm-hmm. that's what happens in baseball you're not gonna get it with every single person but ryan castellani hitting him hard and you know, it just made sense kind of dropping him off get yourself another arm on the on the roster that potentially could help you and so hate to see it happen but it's understandable why it happened yeah yeah it's a business as a quick um note to Skyler's point talking about uh, Ryan Castellani struggling this season Ryan Castellani averaging um per baseball reference averaging 8.3 walks per nine looking at a uh, earned run average of just below eight so definitely some struggles there Evan you were looking at some stats earlier anything stick out to you for Castellani, it really is that walks per nine where he was just struggling so, so immensely. And we were all uh, pretty concerned when he came into camp back in spring training and he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. He hit several batters. He looked, I didn't want to invoke it at the time, but he looked like he had the yips. And so he didn't break camp with the team, which uh, some people were shocked about. Uh, and instead, Chichi Gonzalez broke camp with the team. And down in Albuquerque, he's just not been able to put it together. And maybe a change of scenery will help. I'm not sure he gets claimed on waivers. I think he ends up getting um, re-signed back to Albuquerque to see if we can sort of fix what his woes might be. Mm-hmm. But he's pitched 35 and two-thirds innings in AAA this year, and his ERA is 7.82. And with that colossal walks per nine, it's just, this was the right move to get someone off the 40 man roster and bring in some reinforcements. And it's, it's sad because he was such a nice story last year when he made his debut, but this was the move that needed to be done. The move I don't like is from last week um, or earlier this week, rather designating Joe Harvey for assignment. That was a little bit of a surprise uh, move that one for sure. Because Harvey was pitching very, very well for the Rockies down in Albuquerque uh, across 13 and two thirds innings. He had an area of two sixty three and 20 strikeouts. And this is Mm -hmm. a Rockies team that's really sorely hurting for, bullpen help mm-hmm. and for pitching help and designating him for assignment was just such a strange move to me because this is a guy who was playing well enough to earn a call up if anything yeah and i think we definitely risk him getting taken on waivers more than castellani right yeah especially uh harvey only been with the rockets organization for the last keep me honest here Evan, i believe last year right i think they assigned him in 2019 
from the New York Yankees. So yeah, it's a pretty quick move. Be very interesting to see if he does manage to clear waivers. I'm kind of with you. I, I think it's unlikely. I think it's very possibly gets picked up by another organization. But be very interesting to see what's kind of next for him as he more than likely departs the Rockies organization. See if another team picks him up, is able to slot him into a reliever spot for them. Um, yeah, just more stuff to keep an eye on, man. Uh, and to, you guys both said it. I think Castellani, one of those guys. You know, you signed out of high school, had a lot of really high hopes for him. It just kind of hasn't worked out, especially this season. Those are shocking numbers. You both mentioned the walks. Uh, you know, anytime you get over that, like three or four, it starts getting real scary. When you're looking at something like seven or eight walks a game, that's 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 intense. Um, let's do a quick little preview of the uh, week coming up. Um, we'll take a little ad break after that. But as we record today, the Rockets are getting ready to start their their next series in Milwaukee. And then uh, coming up next week, I'm sure the story that's me on the minds of every Rockies fan is going to be the Rockies hosting the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, there is obviously one player on the St. Louis Cardinals that a lot of people are very much looking forward to seeing. Um, that is obviously Paul, Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, no, I'm playing. That's obviously <laughs> the third baseman of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt, man. He's the guy everyone wants to see. No, it's going to be it's gonna be Nolan Arenado. Um, we don't have to get too much into the, the history there. I think we've all you know, read the articles, understand, you know, as much as we possibly can at this point. But I guess, what do you guys take from this? Is this going to be a welcome homecoming of a hero, uh, the fans all clapping and cheering? Or is there going to be a little bit of animosity from Rockies fans welcoming back Nolan Arnado to, you know, a place that some people maybe fairly or unfairly felt he kind of dipped out on? Um, Evan, I'll start with you. Uh, what What is your opinion of the fan reaction? What's it going to be? What should it be? And what is your take on the return of Nolan Arnado to Coors Field? So the series starts on July 1st, and I think his first appearance, there, there's going to be no in-between. He's either going to get a standing ovation, or he is going to get booed immensely. Mm. And there's going to be no in-between. I'm leaning towards he's probably more likely going to get a standing ovation. Yeah. Uh, Rockies fans, for whatever may have happened still really do love him mm -hmm. and i admit that i was a little frustrated with how things went down and i was i was not entirely on nolan's good side or rather he was not entirely on my good side just with some of the things that happened when he first started with st louis this season but i definitely have to admit a lot of that has faded with time and I'll be looking forward to see him. I'll be happy to see him. I hope we... I hope he does terribly while he's here. I'm not going <laughs> to yeah, lie. Of course. Of course. Um, but it'll be it'll be nice to see him at least back in Coors Field. Yeah. And it, it definitely hurts a little bit less knowing that right now Cardinals fans are going through a very similar thing that Rockies fans did in 2020. With the team is not doing so great. The Cardinals are kind of struggling right now. Um, and the rumor mill about what Nolan is going to do after the season is a buzz. Yes. Uh, is he going to opt out? Um, what's going to happen? Is he going to stay? Where does he go if he opts out? And I think it's a lot because Nolan does seem pretty frustrated where – the Cardinals, he signed up for a playoff team, and they're not really getting that. The Cardinals are below 500 right now. They're uh, 36 and 39, which is 
in sort of a competitive NL Central with the Brewers and Cubbies on top, mm-hmm. not necessarily going to cut it, especially when there are plenty of other teams in the National League with much better records right. that leaves them potentially missing out on even a wild card spot. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight other teams with uh, more wins than the Cardinals right now. And that's sort of what he was dealing with when he was here. And then now the fans are like, oh, is he going to opt out? Is he going to leave when we just got him? And I don't really know. My guess right now, if the Cardinals maintain their Mm -hmm. current trajectory, is that he does opt out. My hopefulness would be that Nolan is going to then uh, come straight back to the Rockies hat in hand and say, hey, I want to play with you guys again. Right. But that's probably not going to happen. So as long as he doesn't go to the Dodgers, I'll be fine. And we're good. Yeah, that'd be be tough to swallow, Tim going over to L.A. Um, You mentioned the Cardinals, right? You mentioned that they're not really playing up to their expectations. As we record today, um, you got to preface that with everything I say, right? As we record today, the Cardinals in the midst of a four-game losing streak. They actually have three games under 500, and maybe surprisingly, only have five more wins than the Rockies do. Uh, Rockies have a you know not a great season, but the Cardinals not playing up to the expectations that their fans had, and certainly not that Nolan has. Um, Skyler, Nolan, take give me one. Uh, I think the solution to when he shows up at Coors Field, the way you satisfy both because. That stadium is going to be mostly full of Cardinals fans anyway. Uh, mm, if yeah. <laughs> if your opening day 2.0 ticket sales are any indication, people aren't showing up to games as much. Uh, but <laughs> the way you do it is just alternate booing and standing ovations every at bat for every game. <laughs> one game or one at bat, he comes up. It's just rocking the house, cheering for him. The next one, you're just yelling boo at him, just nonstop for the whole at bat. And then you cheer him again for the next next inning. So get that good mix. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it, it I do love I love poetic irony or just poetic justice of Nolan complaining about all the things that happened in Colorado, the problems he had here in Colorado. But then St. Louis is dealing with the same things right now. But the only thing that I know yeah. can kind of be the difference maker for him is that come deadline the Cardinals are probably going to put all their chips in to try and shoot for that playoff spot uh, where they're willing to probably make moves that would satisfy Nolan as opposed to whatever it is the Rockies did at trade deadline to kind of put him over the top. So I think the Cardinals have seen the mistakes of what Colorado did and they can Mm -hmm. kind of make the difference there and go all in, try to satisfy him, make him – Try to make them happy as much as they can because that opt-out is very looming. But yes, even if is. he opts out with them and goes somewhere else, that's still poetic justice to me. Yeah. And and you make a good point as well about the Cardinals probably being more active at the deadline. The Rockies organization has, um, you know, there there is a bit of a track history of the Rockies potentially being in situations where they might be able to kind of get a a higher playoff spot and not really making the kind of moves you'd expect a lot of these upper echelon playoff teams to make. So to Skyler's point, it's entirely possible that the Cardinals will say, you know, look at the Brewers and look at the Cubs. we got to make some moves here and give them some help. So that's a really good call out actually. And it will be interesting to see what they, you know, decide to do if they, you know, really make a, a strong effort to 
um, keep him around and keep him satisfied, or if we're just kind of looking at a quick little stop in St. Louis, and then from there, we'll find out. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick ad break. Uh, we are going to keep on talking about the sort of around the MLB. Got a lot of stuff to talk about as far as the sticky substances. You know, that conversation never ends. Talk about the All-Star game. Talk about the uniforms that they're wearing at the All-Star game. Got to get into that. So stick around for some more baseball talk for myself, Skyler, and Evan. We'll catch you in just a minute. Welcome back to Affected by Altitude. Appreciate you guys sticking with us through that break. Uh, let's get right into it. So we are going to talk about the MLB, some of the general topics that are circulating around the league. But before we do, we have to talk about these two young players that have really stepped up to the Rockies. Last week, we talked about Raimel Tapia and his hit streak. It did unfortunately come to an end recently in this series with Seattle. However, no question he's still been such a huge part of their recent success. And then also this rise of Brendan Rodgers, who, you know, we've all been clamoring for, for years now to give him give him the spot, right? Just just put your chips on this kid, let him get his opportunities and really take over at that second base or shortstop position. He has done that recently and he's really started to establish himself. So the question I want to ask you guys, uh, I'll, I'll start with Evan this go around. Is this it? Is this the the crowning of the new second baseman of the future? Is, is Brendan Rodgers the guy? What has made him so successful? And I guess the most important thing is, do you think that this is sustainable for the future? What's your take on Brendan Rodgers? So I think it's still too early in the season to be like, yes, officially he's the guy. Mm -hmm. But it is really important to look at his month of June. So, you know, the Rockies are tend to experience the June swoon where everybody starts slumping pretty bad in the month of June. And Rodgers has not done that. Um hasn't you know been hitting up to Rymel Tapia standards but in the month of June he's slashing 290 357 565 he's got four home runs uh so far and he's really starting to get a hitting groove whereas in the month of May he was only slashing 192 276 192 mm-hmm. and then in June just things really started picking up for him, especially after he got that first uh, big league home run of his against the athletics in the beginning of the month. And that really sort of started propelling him where he was hitting more frequently and getting extra base hits. He got his first big league triple the other day. He has 35 total bases. Um, What's really important for Brendan Rogers is that he is getting regular playing time and i've said this before there is no reason at all to not have brendan rogers starting every day or almost every day at either second base or shortstop depending on if trevor story is taking a rest day or something Mm -hmm. currently he's starting the majority of games at second base which is fine frankly i'm not sure he has the arm strength like trevor story for regular shortstop i think second base suits him a little bit better defensively but if he can keep up this pace, and the only way to see that is if we keep letting him play and don't do something really foolish, like, say, giving Chris Owings <laughs> starts at second base over him, then we can really make that judgment call of, is Brendan Rodgers the guy? I think this is sustainable. He's not hitting at a crazy, crazy pace, which I think is super important. Like, sometimes you worry about, oh, they, they break out and they're hitting you know 500 in the month of June and they're 
crushing the ball. Like, I don't think uh, Kyle Schwarber in Chicago, for example, is tearing the cover off the ball at an insane rate right now. That kind of thing is not sustainable. You know he's going to have a dip. Yeah. It was the same thing with Charlie Blackman last year when he started the season, you know, and we were thinking this guy could hit 400. Mm-hmm. That kind of pace just isn't really sustainable versus the pace that Rodgers is hitting at right now with uh, an average of 290, total average for the season so far at 261. That is sustainable to me, and he's not striking out that often. In the month of June, he's only struck out 12 times, uh, and he's walked five times, and that's a pretty solid ratio. And I think, and I'm, I'm repeating myself now, keep playing him every game. Every single game he should be playing, and that way at the end of the season we can finally make that judgment call. But right now, I think this is sustainable enough that Rodgers could be going forward the starting day, uh, starting second baseman. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, tough to argue there. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. Um, a lot of hyperbolic language when people say things like he's the guy, like I just did five minutes ago. Uh, when people say things like he's the guy or like this is the future and all that, but I think you you know you you are so right when you say that the best thing you can give guys like Brendan Rodgers and and look Tapia was the kind of up and down guy for the last couple seasons. He gets this you know full time start in left field and look what's happened. Right, he's turning into a potential potential all star this season. So I think that's a really good point. Um, just giving this guy this time. Skyler, where are you at on Brendan Rodgers? Uh, it's really nice to see him starting to produce and like we we're talking about getting regular playing time because when he was getting that regular playing time during spring training, like he was ready to go. Second base was his yeah, and he was doing great. And then he had, he just had to try and steal second and pull his hamstring. Uh, yeah, but it, it's been good to see him come back. And especially this month, start to get comfortable. Uh, we finally broke the ice with that first big league Homer. And I think that's what really helped him. Mm-hmm. It's helping him with his approach, and he's making a lot more contact. Because in the past, we've seen him in just the small, small, small sample size. We've seen him, you know, he's struck out a lot and just couldn't put the bat to the ball. And that's something he's doing now. Like I mentioned, only 12 strikeouts, at least this month or whatever. Him not striking out is a great sign of progress because I'll take a ground out or I'll take bat on the ball anytime over a strikeout because he can't get on base. Well, it's yeah. a lot harder to get on base if you strike out. Uh, putting the ball in play, a lot yeah. more likely you're going to get on base. And so I, I really like that he's getting to be able to play, even if it's not every single day. But if he's going more than two days without playing, then we're doing wrong. But if it's like even at the least playing every other day, that's better than him riding the bench for a week like Connor Joe was just doing or – Sam Hilliard struggled with at the beginning of the year. So, got to get him in the lineup. And I think they're finding that rhythm now. And once Ryan McMahon gets a little bit more healthy, I think Joshua Fuentes is kind of a turning into the expendable piece this offseason and something. So, we'll see. But it's good to see him playing more and more. And like I said, I don't know if he's going to be you know, the shortstop of the future especially with the inevitable trade of Trevor's story, but getting Rodgers in that lineup, getting him in that middle infield, it's going to it's gonna go a long way to help the Rockies 
moving forward in the future. Yeah. I think it's tricky because the Rockies do have to prepare for the potentiality of a life without Trevor story, but I'm not sure that Rogers has the arm strength for shortstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen him you know, try and make some amazing plays, but he just doesn't have the power in his arm to get the ball there fast enough like we've seen Trevor Story do. A lot of that could be just because we're really, really spoiled with Trevor Story being an excellent defensive shortstop. Right. But if Story is gone next season, then Rogers will obviously be starting at shortstop. The question then is, who's at second base? Because, frankly, I think Ryan McMahon should be starting every game at third base. Um, which leaves us, you know, we need to figure out then who's going to be at first base if CJ Crone is not here next year because there's a potential um, aspect of us trading him at the deadline if we are sellers, which we are more than likely going to mm-hmm. be. But Rogers definitely is showing, at least for now, that he's got a place in the future of this middle infield. And it really is being injured derailed him. And we saw that happen in the years previous. And when he came back from injury in May, he was really, really struggling. And then when he finally hit that home run and started breaking open, that was him hitting his groove. And I can definitely see earlier on not playing him every day because you want to be careful with him while he uh, is coming back so you don't re-injure him, especially with his injury history, because you don't want him to turn into another David Dahl, right. who had such potential but just incredibly poor injury luck. But at this point, I think he's showing that he's now healthy enough you need to have him on the field every day or every other day. I agree with uh, Skyler on that. Totally. Uh, quick little stat check. Um, very nice article by Kevin O'Brien of PitcherList.com called Is Brendan Rogers Finally Becoming the Next Star in Colorado? You guys both mentioned, uh, and Skyler really got into it about the, the contact rate. Well, his um, his strikeouts have been decreasing. He is swinging at far less pitches. His uh, chase rate has gone down uh, this year. His chase rate was 23% lower than it was uh, a year ago, which is a drastic improvement. And that's awesome to see because it is just showing that maturity and showing that um, knowledge of the big league level and kind of adjusting to that. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on Brendan Rodgers, see if he can kind of keep taking these steps and hopefully really start to cement himself in Colorado's lineup and hopefully in the future. But let's get into the general landscape of baseball, shall we? The, the big story, obviously, uh, we touched on it briefly last week, but we really just kind of saw it put into action this week. And that's the, as Tyler eloquently put it in our in our little group chat, he put it as TSA checks for these sticky substances in these pitchers. We saw some pretty wild reactions from guys like Max Scherzer and, and uh, Tony Romo, where they were they were Sergio Romo. What did I say? Did I say Tony. That's embarrassing. Cut that. But uh, we saw <laughs> we saw and there now it's in. And we saw Sergio Romo uh, dropping trowel in the middle of a baseball game on the field, right? Because they're so so indignant that they are being searched as many times as they are. You know, it's it's funny as we watch it because it's just so outlandish, but is this a problem? Is this getting a little bit too ridiculous? Are, are baseball games going to kind of become this this weird circus act of having to, you know, check your glove? We saw a glove get removed from a game earlier this week because it was too light a color. Where does that end? Is, is it okay right now? Are you guys fine with how this has progressed? Or is it already kind of passing that line of, you know, checking for substances by nature of keeping the game pure or is it becoming farcical? Where are you guys at on this? I'll start with you, Skyler. Uh, I, I, 
I think they're on the right track. Um, I think it depends on how the pitchers react to it because we've seen both spectrums. You know, Max Scherzer just looked the most annoyed when he has to come in and they have to check his glove before he goes into the goes into the dugout or Sergio Romo who just gave up a home run and then has to get checked and so he's ready to drop his pants right there. Uh, but then we see like Shohei Otani who's just kind of laughing about it, having a moment with the umpires. You know, a nice quick check, check, check into the dugout. Um, so I don't think it's that big of a deal for him to just make a quick check every couple of innings, um, see how they're doing, uh, make sure they're they're doing fine. Uh, so they're on the right track. They can probably streamline it better in the future uh, where it's just nice and quick and it's not a big spectacle for anybody. Um, it's when Joe Girardi's coming out oh, after Max Scherzer's already been checked a couple of times and then in the middle of an inning, Joe Girardi's like, I want you to check him because he's rubbing his head and I've never seen him do that before in my life. That's when it's yeah. getting a problem is when it's overdone, but just nice and subtle after an inning, you're coming into the dugout, check, 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 you're good to go. But I do love the different reactions because it is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And I think that's that's probably a fair compromise is kind of just checking every so often after a couple innings. Um, what do you think, Evan? You on the same page? So, uh, Skyler, I think it's funny that you said everything was on the right track because I actually think that it's already off the rails. Mm. Um, because in the first week, we've already seen all the weaknesses of the current system exposed. Joe Girardi is able to abuse the rule of wanting to have a pitcher checked to try and throw Max Scherzer off of his game, where Max Scherzer was checked like three times during that mm-hmm. game. So you think it's tactical? And I, in Girardi's case, it definitely mm-hmm. was. And I think that's, you know, people talk about the spirit of the game, but I think that's not exactly sporting. And then Joe Girardi ended up getting Max Scherzer so mad that Max Scherzer was sort of egging Girardi on, and then Girardi got himself ejected. And we see people get really frustrated with having to do it on the field repeatedly. And I think think it shouldn't be done on the field. I think the best way to do it is if you're going to have a guy checking the pitchers just – Right before the inning starts, have a guy on the dugout stairs. All right, you're going out. Let me see your glove. Let me see your belt. Okay, go. And then same thing maybe at the end of the inning if you didn't do it at the beginning of the inning. And then go from there. Because you're seeing it get in the way as well. This kid for the Mets made his major league debut and was getting a standing ovation as he walks to the dugout. And right before he gets to the dugout, the umpires stop him and do his uh, do his check. And that totally sucks the air out of that whole moment. That's such an important moment. You're heading to the dugout after your first big league pitching appearance, getting a standing ovation from a roaring crowd, and they stop you before you can get to the dugout to frisk you for sticky mm-hmm. substances. And that's that's no fun. That's not a way to do mm-hmm. it. If you If you must check people, why couldn't there have just been a guy sitting in the dugout after he got back going, all right, Good show. Let me see your glove. Let me see your hands. Let me see your belt. Cool. Make it that kind of thing where they had, when they were doing COVID precautions, they had a guy in the dugout doing like screenings and temperature checks and mask checks and all that stuff. So why not just have a guy in the dugout checking for substances? You can have an MLB appointed arbiter or whatever, or like the, um, the backup 
umpire because they always come in with a crew bigger than they actually sure. need so that if somebody gets hurt or somebody gets sick they have someone that can fill in immediately just have one of those guys be stationed in each dugout and at the beginning or end of each inning check them do it subtly discreetly you don't need to make a show of it on the field which is making pitchers get frustrated and then as entertaining as it is to watch Sergio Romo take his pants off in the middle of a baseball game it's it's not needed it's not necessary yeah well, and that, and that's, that's what fair. i agree with like it, it just doesn't oh, go for it, Skyler. i love your i love your take on this well like you're saying it like i was saying like it can be streamlined there in the future like they don't need to make a big spectacle of it out on the field you know and you just having them check right there in the dugout before they come out or you know in the dugout as soon mm-hmm. as they come in so then it's not a big spectacle I think it was like Diego uh, Casillo with the Tampa Bay Rays. Right before he threw a warm-up pitch, they came and checked his hat. Oh, there's a little bit of sticky spot. Kevin Cash has to take his hat, and they have to give him a new hat out there on the field. Now, mm. That's something they could easily do right before he comes out uh, to check his equipment. No big deal. Uh, kind of under the, the radar discreetly because they don't need to make a spectacle of it out on the field like you're talking about. Yeah. And that's a good point. I think I'm I'm sort of so personally I'm sort of both of y'all because I do think that there's something to be said about the you know just not using sticky substances in the game, right? I think obviously you've seen this precipitous rise in strikeouts over the last couple seasons. We've seen you know the as again as we record tonight, we just saw the Cubs throw a combined no hitter last night, the seventh on the season. Seems like we're on track to break the number of no hitters in one season fairly easily. Um, I, I think it's totally fair to take a look at these sticky substances. And like Skylar said, kind of preserve that integrity. Because it is true. I think you mentioned it last week, in fact, Skylar, that like by the rule book, like you, you can't have sticky stuff. That's just what it is, right? You cannot add anything to the ball. But I'm also sort of where you're at, Evan, where it is a bit ridiculous already, where we have situations like you just mentioned. I mean, you, you couldn't possibly pick a better example where someone's making this – once literally once in a lifetime moment their major league debut and that moment is now you know at at worst it's tainted at best it's at least been distracted by this instance of an umpire having to check for the sticky stuff in such a way that you can't just kind of walk off and be done with it i think if we can find a way like you both said to just kind of make it a quick little transaction a quick you know stop by double check me yeah you look good goodbye you know, I think that would be best. I would like for them to maybe try and make that process easier for the pitchers because, like Evan said, the situation with Girardi and Max Scherzer, it did start off kind of silly and funny because it was so different, but it did sort of get out of hand. When you're, when you're having players and managers going at each other and being ejected for stuff like that, it kind of is no longer fun and goofy, and now it's a bit of a, of a you know, I don't want to say a safety thing because I don't think anything physical would happen, but you don't want to have those kinds of tempers flaring over something like this. That seems a bit, you know, of an overreaction at least. So, yeah, we'll see if anything develops from it. I'd like, like you both say, I, I think that it could be done in such a way that's a little quicker and more transactional, not so, you know, song and dance about it. Um, last topic I want to get to, and it's going to be a contentious one, like the one that we just talked about was, this one's going to be hitting a little bit closer to home though. The All-Star Game is coming to Colorado. We mentioned this last week, but we now officially have our All-Star Game swag. We've got the merchandise. We now see what the teams are going to be wearing. 
So a couple of things to talk about there. For one, the American League and the National League will wear American and National League uniforms during the actual All-Star game, as opposed to wearing individual team uniforms. Um, the team uniforms will be worn during the home run derby, but during the actual All-Star game, they'll be wearing those two uniforms. And then the uniforms themselves have not been very well received by fans and by, you know, ourselves, if I'm just being, you know, totally honest about it. Uh, they are not exactly up to snuff, let's say. I'm going to start with Evan because I know my man's got something to say. You and I were talking a bit before we came on the air about these uniforms, and you kind of did some history and looking into the various uniforms we've seen in the last few years since this tradition has begun. So, Evan, give me a hot take because I know it's coming. Uniforms, the All-Star game, break it down. These are without a doubt the worst All-Star game uniforms I have (laughs) ever seen. There it is. I knew it was coming. They started doing the American League and National League jerseys, I believe it was 1997, and these are the worst ones, and there have been some bad ones. My uh, my memory goes back to 2000, uh, when it was hosted by the Braves, and they had these very odd vests, and I don't dislike vests, I obviously love the Rockies vest, but they just weren't particularly well designed, but it's funny I should mention the Braves, because it's very clear that these are hastily repurposed from the game being in Atlanta originally. Yeah. You have the very well-known Rockies colors of navy, red, and tan <laughs> in addition to white, where there's they just don't match at all. There's no purple on the actual uniform. And then the hats are navy with the purple Rockies All-Star logo hastily thrown on the front, but the actual logo face for the team logos is red. Mm-hmm. And it clashes tremendously. And then the collar and the sleeve trims have this weird floral print that is supposed to be... I was told that it's supposed to represent the state flower. And that's not a columbine. That looks like the state flower of Georgia. Mm. And then there there are two-button pullovers. And I don't mind pullover jerseys. I think they're better suited towards minor league teams. But it's going to be like 100 degrees in Colorado in the middle of July... Players have already said that pullover-type designs make them uncomfortable. Wearing the undershirts can cause them to overheat, so they want to have those buttons undone. It's why we see people like Ben Bowden or um, even Ryan McMahon keep some buttons undone, because it helps keep them cool. Sure. I think it's a terrible decision to have a two-button pullover for the middle of summer for the All-Star game, especially when not all of these athletes are going to be ready for Colorado mm-hmm. heat. And then the... General design, even taking out of the fact that there's no Rockies anything to them, is that they're really not very good looking. The three-letter abbreviation for the city on the front in red, with the team's logo for some reason right in the middle of that, and then the National League is wearing white and the American League is wearing navy blue. And... It's really frustrating because um, over at Rock's Pile, Nathaniel Sunshine uh, at N underscore Sunshine underscore 55 on Twitter, in just a couple of minutes, threw together a mock-up of the same jerseys, but, you know, actually with the Colorado flair. So you can keep the home one white, but change the typeface on the front with the team abbreviation to purple. Mm -hmm. Uh, The 
color on the sleeves. Uh, the trim for the floral print is now purple on the National League jerseys, and it's actually, you know, Colorado Columbines for that floral print. And then on the hat, you change the team logo to purple with the silver outline. And then with the American League jersey, it's a purple jersey with a gray typeface and gray on that floral print. But it's still pretty obvious that they're they're at least somewhat Colorado themed. And I'm really disappointed because I, I love jerseys. I collect jerseys. I love all-star jerseys. I love seeing what they do. And this is just really lazy. And especially uh, something that uh, one of my friends noticed is that the Toronto Blue Jays, the Canadian team, have an American flag patch on their all-star jersey. Yeah. Which, and the fact that these are, the the prices very heavily increased. The authentics are $400 under Nike. It's not worth the price tag. And it's so frustrating to me because everyone talks about, oh, it's got to be the supply chains due to the rapid change of venue and due to COVID. But the Rockies within a week of having the All-Star game announced as being held at Coors Field had a logo ready to go and merch turned out. A great logo. Yeah. So I don't know. I hope these, I, I hate to say it, I hope these don't sell. Honestly, I hope that MLB listens to some fan backlash and maybe tries to get new jerseys done. Not necessarily even for purchase. If you can get new jerseys out there just for the players mm-hmm. to wear, and then some point after the game say, our bad, here's new jerseys for the fans to buy, that'd be fine with me. But this is very... This is such a misstep, and it's so such a bummer because the All-Star game in Colorado is such an yeah. exciting thing, and this is what we yeah. got. I think it, I think you're right. I think it's earned. And the, the fan backlash has been swift, and it's been critical, right? Uh, it's Once they were released, there was a very, very vocal wave of people that were basically echoing the same things you're saying right now, Evan. Um, Skyler, what's, what do you think? Are you a little bit more forgiving? of these or are you pretty much of the same mind? I wouldn't even let my dog sleep on these things. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me exactly like oh, those new me. era caps <laughs> that they were trying to put out with all the area codes and clip art. Like that's what this yes. jersey is missing is just yes. some area codes and clip art. Uh, uh, like Evan hit it on the point. The, the, I think the very notice, notable colors of Colorado, of red, blue, and white. Oh, uh-huh. That's something I love about the All-Star game is the jerseys reflect the city and the team. You know, and When they're down in Miami, right. these, nice orange, you know, these nice orange jerseys that look like the Marlins uniforms at the time. And yes. you know, how hard is it to just make a purple jersey? Oh. <laughs> and so... It, a huge misstep and like we're saying they obviously like some these were already ready to go for uh whatever for atlanta and they just copy and paste it and say hey here we go oh and so it's it's rough you know and the one thing we didn't it's absurd that they don't get to wear their regular jerseys during a game because that's the the best part about the all-star game is you get to see all these different uniforms playing together yes and you get to see oh i don't know who this guy is oh he plays for that team Uh, why he's an all-star now Mm -hmm. oh i didn't know that he played for that team 
And so it's just a huge misstep by MLB, who continually screw up just the simple things <laughs> and everything. It's not that hard to just yeah. have a nice purple jersey and, hey, wear your regular uniform during the game. You made a great point when you mentioned the area code uh, caps because, yeah, it's that was another big misstep by Major League Baseball this season was the – the, the new, those new caps that they put out with all these uh, area codes on them. A lot of people thought they were pretty garish. And uh, just as a quick personal note, I let my father know. My father's an old scene head. That's how I got into the sport at all. About the change that they made where the All-Star game would not have the uh, individualized uniforms, whereas the, the home run degree would. And he was incensed. Uh, I mean, he was beside himself. He could not believe that MLB would make a change like that. Uh, and I think it's a good point that Skyler made about this is an opportunity for fans that are, let's say, Rockies fans, right? Like, how many fans that are Rockies fans, you know, I think we're a little bit different. You know, we, we write about baseball because that's what we want to do. But if you're the average Colorado Rockies fan, you might not know the Brewers, or you might not know the Marlins, or you might not know the Indians, or whichever teams are coming to town. And this is an opportunity to see those uniforms, see those players, you know, and kind of get an idea of what their brand of baseball might be and that is now lost in this new all-star game format so i agree with you both i think it's a tough i think it's a really tough move by mlb you know it's it's but all of it i think not wearing the uniforms i think the uniforms that they do have are are all pretty negatively um received by fans and i think the players if we were to ask would probably be of a similar mind um we do got to get ready to wrap it up here pretty shortly. Before we do, I know Evan has a shout-out he wants to make real quick. So I would like to congratulate Rockies pitcher Ulysse Chassin for reaching 10 years of Major League That's Baseball awesome. service time. Uh, this was just put out there by uh, Daniel Allen Tuck of the uh, Gazette on Twitter a little bit ago. But he has officially reached his 10-year service time mark. He made his debut on July 25th of 2009. Uh, Herman Marquez posted uh, him being presented with a cake on his Instagram <laughs> to it. celebrate. So I want to I want to give a big shout out to Ulysse Chassin. I know that it's a little odd having him back on the team this year, especially when he's been a little bit hit or miss. But you know, Ulysse was such a big part of that early 2010s yeah. Rockies baseball, and he is he's a staple of yeah. Rockies baseball, even if he was gone for a couple years. And it's really nice to see him reach this uh, landmark, and I'm super Absolutely. happy for him. When I first got into Rockies baseball, it was him and Jorge De La Rosa holding it down for the Rockies, so that's awesome. Um, yeah, man, good stuff today, guys. I think we talked about a lot of things, and we're probably going to have to revisit uh, these developing stories around the Major League Baseball scene and, of course, the Rockies front, front office situation. We're going to have to look at that again as we get more and more information as some more moves are made. But thank you both, as always, for taking part in this. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to us. A uh, quick shout out for everybody. Skylar, where can fans find you on Twitter? You can find me at, at sideline underscore crowd. Good stuff. That's Evan, where are you at? Uh, my Twitter for baseball is Evan underscore Lang27. You can also uh, see us at the Affected by Altitude Twitter account for Purple Row. It is at Altitude Effect. Bang. And then myself, I am at at Cormac, C-O-R-M-A-C, Battle Pro. Catch up all my, you know, ramblings about wrestling and cartoons and baseball there. Thanks both you guys for having uh, the time to talk to us today. And always, Purple Road listeners, keep an eye on the website. Follow us on Twitter. Follow Effective Out to tell your friends all the good stuff. Catch you same time next week. 
Catch you then. Skylar, give me the give me the move. End it the right way. Farewell. There it is. <laughs> yes. Bye y'all. See ya. <laughs>